0: This week on the Shut Up and Build Bikes podcast, I share my interview with Wade Beecham from Vulture Cycles. Each week on the Shut Up and Build Bikes podcast, I get on the phone and I talk to somebody in the bike frame building world. I'm talking to frame builders. I'm talking to people who, um, you know, paint bikes. I want to talk to, uh, you know, Brent Curry who makes the software BikeCAD. I want to get him on the show. I want to get people who are doing organizing trade shows and people at supply companies who supply the tubes and the dropouts. I want to be talking to all the different people in the industry uh, who, who make sort of the custom bike frame building scene uh, exist and happen. And it's a, it's a show that's about perspectives. It's about why we're passionate about what we do. It's a show that, you know, we talk about technique and craft and, um, you know, what gets us feeling jaded about this little industry, this little, uh, world that we're in and what's making us feel excited about new directions and, and new sort of transformations and things. Uh, you know, it's just a, it's a phone call that I do every week, with somebody that I know, and uh, I just record it and I share it with everyone. It's been really valuable to me the past six weeks or so that I've been doing this. I wish that I would have started doing this sooner. I wish that I would have been always doing this sort of networking and um, communicating with with various people in this little industry that uh, I've I've found a home in over the past nearly 10 years. And um, I'm really glad that I can be sharing that with everyone now. This week's guest is Wade Beecham. So he used to do vulture cycles, and I suppose he still does in some capacity. Uh, you know, in this interview, we talk a lot about his history, but he built his first bike in 1996, not really knowing what he was doing, but feeling inspired. And he just kind of kept doing it, learning, eventually went to UBI, learned some more. Uh, kept doing it, you know, he's been a full-time professional frame builder at different points and then, uh, you know, gone back to work somewhere else again. And I think he's had a couple fits and starts of that. And, uh, you know, he's a bit of a legend for making a lot of mountain bikes, making some real screwy oddball bikes for the, for the hell of it. And, uh, I've known about his work for a long time and I've looked up to him and I got to meet uh, him in person and hang out with him at NABs in Sacramento, this year in uh, 2019, uh, back in March, and that was great. I always thought his bikes were really cool and looked up to the work that he did, and um, and to meet him in person was really special. And um, we had an interesting interaction because actually, um, so I made a tool in the last year called the Miter Buddy. And it helps you hold the, uh, the tapered tip end of a seat-stay, chain-stay, or fork blade. You run into that sometimes. It's hard to hold on to those tubes in like a milling machine vise when you might want to miter the end of them. Anyhow, he had seen pictures that I posted of this tool. He thought it was cool, and he made his own version of it in his own shop. He said, wow, that's a great idea. He made it and then I'm like at the trade show on the floor in my booth and he walks up and we're talking and he said, you know, I just made my own version of this tool, but uh, I think intellectual property is really important. He hands me a $100 bill. You know, I sell the tool for $120 and I was like really uh, appreciative that he wanted to, you know, (laughs) like give that to me as as a thank you for the intellectual property, I guess. But especially I think that shows how much of a sweetheart he is, how much integrity he has. And I just remember when that happened I thought to myself never in the rest of my life is this going to happen again. <laughs> this is a nobody just hands you money for something. Anyway, I thought that was a cool thing. Wade is just he's the real deal. He's such a sweetheart. He's he's done it. He's worked real hard. He's made a lot of bikes. He's made I think a really valuable contribution in the industry and he's just um he's a, he's a joy to talk to. So this interview, like some of them lately, ran very long and it's not very easy or realistic for me to go through and cut bits and sections out in the middle. And, but you know, I think most of it's pretty interesting. It's just long. So you got to give me feedback. If you can't stand the length of these, I'd love to hear about that. Or if you're glad that they're as long as they are, I guess I'd like to hear that too. Uh, where this interview begins, uh, I was just mentioning to Wade this video that had been produced by his friend Dustin from about 2011 or so about a 5 minute long web video called chaotic alchemy where um you know it's it's uh just you know showing him working in his shop and talking about his perspectives and Wade is narrating you know just sort of talking about process and so here I'm I'm like paraphrasing something that he had said and uh and that starts our discussion kind of feels like every time you're riding your bike you're putting one over on the man and it's like, damn, that's not, that's just, like, that's, you know, that's poetry. Because, I mean, why do we care about bikes in the first place? Like, mechanical things are interesting, but it's like, why do we care about bikes? It's like, it's that it's that freedom and that feeling and just, I don't know. You know, like, the the thing is cool, and I like the bike, and I spent a lot of time preoccupied about the bike and the shop and the process of making the bikes. But, like, ultimately, the reason I got into bikes in the first place is because they're so exciting and fun to ride and it's like that's it you know like that's that's the whole reason exactly and it's and you know like i'm a mountain biker i I, if you
1: know what art wade what do you do i'm a mountain biker like (laughs) that's what that's what i've done that's why i started even building my own bikes and stuff and and but i ride my cruiser a lot and it's the funnest bike i've ever had except for when I was a kid and it it's because like when I'm mountain biking, it's mountain biking, it's really fun and stuff, but you know, there's kind of a fitness aspect to it. There's a technical aspect to it. There's the speed, you know, and then I'm always kind of thinking about my bike maybe when I'm mountain biking, like, uh, unfortunately, you know, frame builder brain is like, well, man, if I made the seat tube a little bit steeper <laughs> on this, well, but then it wouldn't be great on this other place. So how do I, what's the compromise? And, You know, as I get older, things have to change too, uh, you know, and then, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, of course style is, is I'm, I'm interested in the style of it. And so my bikes, I, you know, I really just hang it out and make them as, as I'm building them, I'm letting them kind of create themselves. Mm -hmm. And, but I don't think about that stuff at all when I'm riding, you know, like what it looks like doesn't mean squat when I'm ripping down, you know, when I'm, Hauling ass down a trail, you know, uh, through rhododendrons and bear grass and stuff, and I'm like, yeah. I don't even think about what it looks like at all. Uh, but when it's in the garage, and I'm like, oh, look at that thing! I'm super <laughs> stoked about that. You know, I've got three bikes lined up, and not one of them has flat bars. You know, that mm-hmm. all of them have crossbars. <laughs> you wow. know, just silly little things. The the ideas happen to me when I'm not riding. You know, uh, mm-hmm. the the looking at the style is when I'm not riding the way they ride it, I think about it when I'm riding, you know? So, but my cruiser, like, I just love that thing. And I just love riding around town. I love riding around town at night. I'll go on pretty long rides with it. I'll sometimes do shuttle rides and bend with it and like get the van out of town and ride it back into town. And it's, oh, it's so fun. And it's, there's, it's not a perfect vehicle by any means, except for the joy that it causes. Yeah, you know, and it's just like wow. I just this thing makes me feel like
0: a kid. That's uh... and that's kind of where
1: I, yeah, that's kind of where they're like getting it over on the man. Like the, the our society doesn't. They want you to grow up and you know like kids ride bikes. They want us to grow up and get in our cars and go to the football game and you know like just do whatever it is that all the regular people do. And I think that cycling. Look at all the weird little sub things in cycling and how many of them are just kind of, they're kind of anarchy based, you know, like there's, uh, alley cat races or mm-hmm. track lacrosse and all these things. Like it can't, you know, Norba couldn't even hang on. Cause people are like, that's boring. We're going to have seven <laughs> kinds of mountain bike racing <laughs> you know? Yeah, and they'll be all different, <laughs> you know? So it's great. You know, I think that's, that's just my opinion on that. Yeah. Uh, you
0: know, I, I that's, tend to, that's how it's like, I tend to agree. Yeah. I think um, it's, it's, it, when people talk about it like it's just this kid's activity, um, yeah, like they miss the point or something because I feel like it's a human experience to, uh, you know, to want to express yourself in this multitude of ways and to not have to uh, sort of like, yeah, I don't know, <laughs> assimilate to the dominant. Yeah. yeah. But what's
1: kind of cool about that is it's still brings, like, it's not just the kid activity, but it brings a little bit of kid back to your adultness. You know what I mean? It's like you like, you get to be a kid too. You're like, yeah. you know what? I'm doing something that kids do and yeah. kids do it for fun. You know, they're having fun. And so I can have fun too. Dang it. Yeah. And it's my fun, you know, and it's real. And it's the same kind of dang fun. I still feel those feelings, you know? So, uh, that, that's, I mean, that's, part of how i feel about that still feel that way i was just always feel that way and i you know i have to drive to go to work my job is far enough away and it's a it's a hard enough thing i wouldn't and i don't i do not like riding on the road as a roadie you know i'm not a mm-hmm. roadie and i'm not gonna ride my cruiser to work because i would take me four hours to get there <laughs> so i can't do that so i drive i'm I, you know i have a driver's license and i drive my car to work and stuff i don't bike commute uh and you know the way i can't i just can't really for yeah. what i'm doing right now that's how it goes but i've had plenty of jobs where i did bike commute uh a lot you know so i feel pretty lucky yeah um, and yeah, I, you know, I-, I could never go the same way twice so i would always drop go a different route you know that's a really cool thing with a bike ride yeah go a different route that's really fun
0: biking is always the perfect speed to experience real life to experience the world because in a car you're you're closed off and you're zooming past, and you don't smell it, you don't feel it, you know, you don't hardly see it, got all these blind spots and the glasses reflecting, and, you know, it's all this distraction, You got the radio on, but then when you're walking, yeah. that's a great speed to experience it, I suppose, but it's just so slow, you don't get anywhere, you can't, it's like, it's not really transportation unless you weren't going very far, you know, like, a bike yeah. really puts so much in reach, and yet, like, you're out there in it, and you're, you know, like, it is the perfect way to experience your surroundings as you get somewhere.
1: Oh, yeah. It, yep, exactly. Like, I kinda like to go for a walk. Like, I definitely walk around. And what's cool about walking is I just stop a lot. And I don't really <laughs> go anywhere. You know, like, it's just stopping and looking at things. And, you know, and then the bike is like, well, I'm going to go over to this other place that's a bit farther away. And I'm going to see the stuff between here and there. And then maybe I'll get off and walk around when I'm there, you know, yeah. and, like, go check the thing out, you know like uh you know a picnic on wednesday (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) don't have to you know bike kind of makes the after work uh you know after get off work uh my bike makes every day a weekend after work you know so uh, it's like yeah okay get to ride around or you know so Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Uh, i do love i do love that part yeah kind of in between yep yep so oh cool
0: um you know something with the interviews that i haven't particularly been doing is generally I have a pretty good sense of folks you know my my interviewees I have a pretty good sense of how they got into back like how they got into frame building like I've read the about page on their website or something and like I have a pretty good sense of how they got into frame building and when I was sniffing around um, to try and get a better sense of your backstory uh, I, I couldn't find it succinctly anywhere and I'm really curious about your backstory uh, you know like Specifically because I know that you work now in aerospace fabrication, which has some things yep. in common with fabricating bike frames, and it's also very different. And so knowing that you love bikes and that you're also working as a fabricator now, does, uh, what I'm curious of is, like, did you have the fabrication background and bring that into your love of bikes, or did you learn all that stuff so that you could build bikes? But it's
1: actually a, a third option. Yeah. Was I learned how to build bikes, and uh, um, I, I well, I didn't actually learn it, but even before I learned how to build bikes, I was in college studying geology, and was like, I don't know where I'm going here, and I my I worked at a bike shop in Flagstaff, and my boss had built a couple bikes, some really beautiful Phillip raised bikes, and you know he rode one to work every day, and and I just kind of. He, he, uh, we were just talking and I just kind of was like, I think I want to do this. You know, I build wheels, I do the stuff, I'm not sure what I want to do. And I, I kind of, in my mind, a thing crossed. I was like, well, if I learn how to bike, build bikes, I'm going to learn how to weld. And if I learn how to weld, I could probably always get a job. <laughs> that was, <laughs> that was pretty much how I, that that's how that occurred to me. So I used, uh, I just chased that down and, and, um, I mean, I had learned how to build bikes before the internet was part of my life. I, wow. People had it, uh, but I didn't know how to use it and wasn't even remotely interested in it. I thought computers, I think a couple of years before that I had told somebody, I was like, man, I wouldn't put too much energy into these computer things because I don't think they're going to catch on. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, well, they did. Yeah. <laughs> They caught on, and I was wrong. I even use them, but um, I definitely use the computer part of my phone more than I use a computer anymore. But um, yeah, and I, I, uh, my boss had showed me, like he literally took a piece of paper. I was like, I took the torch. He had, uh, you know, had a torch set and some flux coated rod and um, some flux coated bronze, and then I had a fill wood. Uh, oval tube set and i didn't have a jig really so i just m- m- drilled like kind of m- drilled and cut holes in the tube so that they would hold the head tube and the seat tube and they <laughs> kind of jig themselves together and i mm-hmm. used a plumb bob and a torpedo level and and then i just proceeded to try and burn the shit out of the first thing i did and i was just like i went back to my boss and i was like what's the flame supposed to look like you know so mm-hmm. he drew the flame in a piece of paper, you know, he's like, this is the inner cone, this is the outer cone, wow. and you want to just, you know, so he just showed me that, and then I went back, and I was like, oh, that's better, you know, like, because <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't know what I was doing, you know, he's like, it should sort of sound like tearing paper, you know, sounds like ripping paper, and I was that's like, oh, okay, funny. so I did that, you know, and then, uh, and I just I would put bronze on the thing and then file it off and put more on and file it back off and put it on and file it off and took me just hours and hours and hours and hours, you know, and it was crooked and, you know, but I designed some stuff into the bike and I was kind of, kind of had a retro vibe, uh, back then, you Mm -hmm. know, it was retro before it was even that old to be retro, but it was like this thing's getting six speed, uh, you know, Shimano stuff with top mount shifters and rigid fork and, tons of water bottles and anyway and i built this super wambly flexible bike and and uh with tube sets you can't even get anymore and i kind of made it like a moots mountaineer in the back with curved and i just curved the tubes on like like i found a round thing and bent them around it you know <laughs> and so and uh richie dropouts and it had um it had uh WTV roller cam brakes and, you know, just fun. I, that was in, I built that thing in 96. And,
0: uh, 96 just, wow.
1: and then I found a, I went to the used bookstore and I found the Talbot book on frame building. Uh-huh. And I didn't buy it because it was too cheap to buy it. So I just kept going back there and looking <laughs> at it and then looking at it again and then looking at it again. And it's all lugged construction, you know, and I was like, I'm not really doing that. And the thing I got out of that was this: how to the scale for drawing bikes with the with uh, being able to use art paper. Like you can go, you know, back not so much anymore, but there used to just be art stores, and you'd get this drawing paper that's like 18 by 24 or something like that. You know, maybe it's like 24 by 22 or something. It's a size that was a common flip up you know, for doing pastels or charcoal drawing mm-hmm. paper. And the Talbot manual said to use a millimeter to, or a centimeter to an inch scale. And it worked really good in that paper. And so I just started drawing tons of bikes on that, in that scale. And so, um, yeah, I just learned how to do it that way. And it so you could just design the whole thing, uh, centimeter to an inch scale.
0: So, uh, That's so wild. It, I, um, I never had to do full-scale drawings. I learned, you know, the first frame-building class I had was in 2010, and then by the time I made the uh-huh. first bike frame on my own, I I just bought a copy of BikeCAD, which I love. Oh, I think yeah, it's great yeah. software. But, yeah, me
2: too. Um, <laughs> yeah,
0: and, so Brent, awesome. <laughs> and Brent is a sweetheart, too. I really like Brent. But, oh, yeah, that guy's. Yeah. yeah. Um, He's but, so rad. Yep. He is, he is. Uh, we'll have him on the show at some point. He'll be a guest for sure. But, cool. Um, but yeah. anyway, the, uh, the, the drawings, I never had to do full scale drawings and yeah, doing one, not even at exactly full scale, I guess you can, you can do conversions so you could draw it. And then it seemed to me always like what would be really useful about having a full scale drawing is that you can always do a point to point measurement for any weirdo thing and figure it out real yeah, quick. Yeah. But I guess you could still do that. Yeah. You just have to convert.
1: Yeah. And it was easy cause you know, then a millimeter is a 10th of an inch. You know, oh, cool. so if you you could buy a scale, like I found a scale also that had uh, it was a staret scale, a thirty-six inch staret scale that had millimeters on one side and engineering scale on the other side. It's what I drew with, and it's what I measured with. Wow! You know, so I drew it in inches, like I drew the thing as if the centimeters were inches. You mm-hmm. know, so the size of everything was metric, but it was measured in inches, you know, cause it was yeah. on a mountain biker. So it's like, what size? 26 inch wheels, mm-hmm. you know? And it's a, what size is a seat tube? 18 inches, you know? Uh, you know, so I never thought about stuff for a long time in metric, except for the stuff that is metric, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's
0: fun with bikes and you're like, well, this is 135 millimeters and this is 18 inches you know yeah Yeah, it's with bikes you're just with bike fabrication anyway you're just kind of stuck in the middle I think it's easier to just live fully in metric but in the United States Uh then you know oh yeah Yeah. let me just make a quick tool here out of 2 inch diameter bar stock or like oh you know like I'm going to have to use some straight gauge 4130 well that's all in fractional inch or oh let me go down to the welding supply my rod is all you know my tungsten like everything is in inches and so it's just, yeah, you can't, yeah. you can't just conveniently live your life in one, yeah. one measurement or the I, other.
1: I do live in the thousandths world a lot because of, you know, I do live in, in, uh, you know, inches broken into thousandths because yep. of what I do for a living. And I do think it's a, I think it's a very practical scale, you know, like it works really good. And the other thing that's cool about fractional in SAE measuring is Everything's a half of another half of another half of another half. So the relationship is always very easy to figure out, you Mm -hmm. know, like if somebody says this is an inch, how big is a half an inch? You could do that. But if somebody says, you know, this is 10 millimeters, how much is, you know, three mil or, you know, this is a centimeter. How much is three millimeters? It's like, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work as easily. And then when you try to break millimeters into thousands, it's hard, you know? So, a thousandth of an inch is a really common measurement, you know. So, yeah, and I think it's just some version of that. Yeah. you yeah. Yeah. get used to also. And yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Whatever you get used to seems to work and it's especially what I'm doing, you know, um I'm always yeah. trying yeah. to do so much of it in metric because that's just easier for any international customers that I have and for a lot of people oh, yeah. honestly who do bike stuff nowadays. But it's just like yep. I can never fully get away from inch, and so it's just always multiplying yeah. and dividing by twenty five point four.
1: Yep. A funny thing that I heard, and it's there's it's easily shot down, but I like to say it anyway. It's like there's two kinds of countries, those who use the metric system and those who've been to the moon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course they use the metric system to get to the moon, but we don't talk about that. Yeah. I <laughs> <laughs> used it all. <laughs> You know, a lot of en- engineers and scientists in the 60s were using the metric system, but it's still mm. funny to say that one. You know, it's a little, little funny one. I was going to kick out of that because some people are like, "Oh yeah," so you know, and it's just like everything, use both. I had a I had a mitering machine for a while that used that had Whitworth on it. It was a Taiwanese um, tube mitering machine, and it had metric and Whitworth on it. And it Whitworth is divided like inches but it's about an inch and an eighth to a Whitworth inch. Whoa. And which is a this weird British scale, right? So wow. you can look that one up. It was a, it was a tool scale uh, to make trains and it's so they could, it was the first standardized measuring scale for mechanical stuff. Um, wow. You know, like it was the first one that kind of, because the British empire needed their trains in England and in India and in Botswana and wherever to work the same, you know? Mm-hmm. So this guy, James, I think it was James Whitworth or whatever. Yeah. And so that, I got this machine that has this other scale on it. <laughs> it's like, it looks like, inches, but I'm like, that's that 25.4. What
0: the heck's going on? You know? Like, yeah. That's funny. And, cause uh, I, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. feel like I'm, I'm used to living in between the two measurement systems, and it sucks. But it's yeah. like I'm used to yeah. it; it's fine. And there are some people yeah. who just have no patience for it, and I can relate to that. But like you know, this. Should, but man, a third—you throw a third one into the mix. Oh god! <laughs> some people would be people are like they just they just flip a table a and walk home uh, or something. Yeah, that's about a millimeter, and I'm like, yeah, it's about thirty
1: nine thou. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> So, but yeah, it's good. All that stuff's funny, you know. So yeah, um, I don't know. We're yeah, I, tangent. Wade, all right. So you'll have to so, probably so rope fill me in, in on this.
0: your journey. you you made your first bike in 1996 after learning yep. a little bit yep. from your boss at this bike shop who had done some frame building and reading some of the yeah. Talbot manual in a bookstore. But this was still yep. like before the internet was really, uh, you know, like when I was learning. I did take a frame building class and then. I learned the rest of it, pretty much all of the rest of it, because you know you only learn a little bit in a two week class. Um, I learned yeah, all the rest yeah. of it from from forums, from uh, f- like email list serves, and from uh, Flickr. Oh like, yeah, following yeah. people on Flickr and then more recently on Instagram. And none of these things I don't think really existed in the you know 1996. And so, what were you doing oh, after that to continue learning? I just kept doing it.
1: Like I, you know, like it came down to those drawings like, and I, I'd taken a a class that maybe taught me more than anything. Cause I took a mechanical drawing class when I was in junior high Mm -hmm. and it was really, it wasn't drafting. It was mechanical drawing, which was cool because I didn't care about building doors and houses and stuff like that. My dad did that stuff and I wasn't that interested in wood, but this class, I just learned these skills from it. In fact, when I taught myself TurboCAD years later, I use this. I still do a construction line. I do it in 2D, then I extrude it if I need to or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So i have still like I still do stuff as if I was drawing it by hand, um, and I just learned this mechanical drawing stuff. And so anyway, I was doing those drawings, and I would just draw a bike, and I knew, you know, as and then as far as the as far as the skills of building the thing, it was so trial and error. Um, I just. You know, and I, and I talked to people, I had different people that I could talk to. I talked to people on the phone, uh, a buddy of mine and I were kind of doing it together somewhat at the same time. And so we both were sort of learning together, you know, and we'd have, uh, just like bang our head on the wall and then an epiphany, you know, and then if we saw somebody that knew that stuff and then I was like, I can figure out how to cut the tubes if I need to use my fingernails. Or if I need to use acid, the cutting the tubes is not the hard part. The joinery is the part that makes the most difference, you know? Um, and so I didn't focus so much on a way to cut the tubes or hold them. I was just like, I braised a million pounds of flux coated rod, which is awful. Like the first time I braised something with a, with a gas flexor, and, um, like really good CO4 rod. I was like, what, what, (laughs) this is the easiest thing I've ever done. Like, I can't believe it's this easy, you know, like flux coated rod is, is awful, you know? And I, and I even thought you had to get it warm and then dip it in more flux, you know, like paste powder flux, Mm -hmm. you know, and then just burn it onto the bike. So broke joints, cut joints, did tons of joinery until I kind of, you know, and to think about it now, it seems really sketchy, you know, like that there, were, it was way burned, you know, yeah. but, um, and then things would go wrong. And it just like, you know, there's nothing teaches you, nothing taught me as well as screwing stuff up. Uh, unfortunately, that's the way I learn. Um, people can tell me the right way to do it. And I mean, I had so much advice in so many ways over the years that I just kind of ignored and then <laughs> didn't really realize it was good advice until I did it wrong numerous times myself. Mm-hmm. Uh just you know and I don't know if that's stubborn or ignorant or just uh I live in la la land that way. Um, uh with work, you know, and then another other thing I've just been in in industry too. So I I was living in Flagstaff and I built five or six bikes with flux coated rod and um a little bit more tooling came along over time and then and then I had no tooling and I built a bike in a bedroom in an apartment on the Navajo reservation, um, wow. just by hand filing the thing and, and a grinder, like a, uh, a, a angle grinder, a four and a half inch angle grinder.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then, and files. And so I built that thing, uh, you know, a couple bikes that way and, um, and just, uh, just kept trying and the joinery practice the joinery and then I moved to bend and my very first job was at a place called fuel safe that built that built race car fuel tanks and um it was a pretty funny thing I was going over there to see if I could get a job and I rode my bike over there and I parked my bike and uh I walked around this corner and this big dude who owned it this guy Bill came around the corner he's like hey new guy do you know how to drive a forklift and I said Uh, no. And he's like, okay, this one's a little tricky. It doesn't have brakes, but this makes this go up. This makes this go down. This is side to side. This is tilting. And since it doesn't have brakes, you just kind of got to run it into the side of the truck, but don't smack into the walls in the building. Use the gears for that (laughs) and just turn it off if you need to stop right away. (laughs) And he said, go get the mills and the lathes and all the welders off of that truck. And so my job, I think I worked 19 hours the first day. And it was unloading the truck, putting the machines in. He wired them and had me making parts that day. Like, wow. Like every machine that touched the ground, he wired it and was like, quick, I need you to make this thing. And I'm like, how do you turn it on? Okay, steel's, steel's slow and use a lot of oil. Aluminum's fast and spray it with WD-40.
0: <laughs> there you go. How so do you was, turn it
1: on? This is the on switch. Yep.
0: So he was moving so into I, a new space and starting this company on the day that you got hired And you, your job was to set up the shop and then immediately put the machines to work.
1: Yeah. They, you know, some stuff was in and some stuff was kind of going on, but they were moving up from Huntington beach. And so they'd been in production for years and they moved up to bend to just escape Southern California and they brought their crew and stuff was like, they put boxes in and people were making stuff the second it happened. And so (laughs) I had a kind of a cool job. I wasn't a production person. I filled in on everything. I did everything at that place. I welded, uh, I did plastic welding. I did some, uh, I did some rubber vulcanization. Um, I did, but I TIG welded a ton of aluminum there. And I machined lots and lots of parts in a lot of different ways. And then he let me build my first frame jig there. And I built it out of a piece of four by two channel, steel channel. Mm-hmm. And I faced it, and then I just built this thing, and some of it was welded, and you know, I was just like, I need a way to hold the head tube, the bottom bracket, and the dropouts. And we'll figure it out from there. <laughs> 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 and if that stuff's sort of straight, then I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> yeah. And uh that's thank goodness for horizontal dropouts and v bricks you know. So. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, and then I learned a lot about welding from some really amazing welders at that place, and. Um, that was where I cut my teeth tape welding. So everything before that had been brazed. And my boss looked at my bike and he's like, why'd you braze that? They haven't done that since world war two. <laughs> Learn how to weld, you know? So it was pretty funny. So lots of hours and just doing that. And then the next place I worked at, um, was a CNC shop where I was a, a CNC operator and I just ran thousands and thousands and thousands of parts. On a um, five different CNC machines, and I was an operator, and I got to do some programming, but not a lot. I mm-hmm. programmed probably five or six of my own things there, but for the most part, it was a sweatshop. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I just, you know, I just was coated in Hangsterfers coolant and ran machines all day, and was like, I don't want to do this. So, um, and then I got laid off from that job, and then I went into frame building full time for about four and a half years after that
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, just and by then I had built nicer fixtures and then um, you know, built some nicer fixtures and then uh, I also after that I probably built about 40 or 45 frames uh, during that time and then I got laid off from that job and there was some training money and I went to UBI and oh, cool. uh, that was awesome. This yep, was like yep. later so, 2000 aughts? it would have been, uh, 2000. I went to EBI in 2003. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, who is, uh, it was who really cool. Teaching back then. So Jim Kish and Mike DeSalvo and Ron, uh, Sutton, you know, who is basically the grandfather of frame building, you know, like that guy has helped more people learn how to bike build bikes than anybody. And, um, uh, Gar- this guy, Gary was also there and he had, was very experienced. Um, He does, I can't remember, I wish I could remember his last name, really super smart guy. Uh, And so, yeah, just got, yeah, that was really cool because I'd already built frames. So the first one I did was I went in there to learn to do tie because I was like, I didn't have very much experience with titanium before that. And so I went there and um, I took a TIG welding seminar first just because I was like, what's bike frames TIG welding? Because I've done all this other TIG welding. Well, you know, on gas, uh, you know, aluminum fuel tanks and all the uh, fittings that go onto them. And then 30, you know, probably about 30 uh, frames, TIG welded frames at that point. And, and the other thing was, like, if I wanted to learn how to do something, I just had to get the damn tool. You know, like, you can watch every video in the world and you can't TIG weld until you pick up a torch and put the hood down and burn rod, you know. Mm-hmm. And... I've had over the years, I've had so many people come to me and be like, I want to frame build. And I'm like, no, you don't. And they're like, no, I really do. And I'm like, if you did, you wouldn't have told that to me, you would be doing it already. <laughs> if you really, really wanted to do it, you would come up to me and say, I'm frame building or I'm learning how to frame build. You know, if you want to do it, get the goddamn welder. That's, yeah. that's what you got to do, you know? And if, if you don't want to do it, then that's, that's awesome. Or, you know, Just say you're interested in it. But if you want to do it, you're going to do it. And everybody I know that has wanted to do it, did it. You know, I've had a couple people be like, Hey man, I want to do this. And the next time you see them, they're like, yeah, I bought this welder. You're like, sweet. You're going to do it. You're doing Mm -hmm. it. So that's really what it takes, you know? So Yeah. Yeah. That's self-starting. Will you you teach me how to frame build? Will you teach me how to, Hey, will you teach me how to build frames? Like, no, go buy a TIG welder. Like, or, or torques and tanks, like at minimum get an, an oxyacetylene setup, at least get that, you know, and then go on and watch the thousands of hours of videos that you can watch now, you know? So, yeah um, you can definitely prevent it. people can learn it a lot faster than I did, but I'm kind of a slow learner, but I'm stubborn, you know? So I like, I will plod away in first gear for a long time. Yeah. Um, but going to UBI was a really amazing experience. Um, I welded up a titanium unicycle at that jig welding seminar. That was really cool. I had can built you, all the parts already so it was unicycle? ready to go. Oh, yeah, that's great. Oh, yeah, yeah, That's awesome. Yeah. There's, a, there's a funny video if you want to watch that. Uh, there's a Oregon Public Broadcasting has a thing called Oregon Field Guide. And there's a thing about building. Uh, you, uh, there's a thing about us riding mountain unicycles on that. Um, <laughs> That's a video. I'll send you a link later or whatever. You'll you will that. La- that one is just pure You'll con- laugh at that. A much younger version of me. <laughs> 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 and, and some pictures of my shop when I was doing some sketchy stuff building unicycles. But yeah, I built a tight unicycle with that thing. Um, Mike DeSalvo was very friendly in that I like practiced a bunch got. I had already had a lot of practice, so I just needed to learn the techniques and do's and don'ts of Titanium. And I was like, Hey Mike, care if I weld this unicycle together, I already have all the parts and it's fixtured. And he's just like, Oh, okay. Like we, this is not what we're supposed to do here, but (laughs) you're weird enough. You're, you're the special one. So we'll let you do this. Knucklehead. So I built my unicycle, uh, just, it was some pretty simple stuff. I already machined the crown for it. So it was a, it was a, I just welded the dropouts to the legs really is what I did. So
2: uh-huh. um,
1: two pretty quick welds. And then, and then I took a tie frame class there. And then later that summer, I took a Philip brace class. And uh, that was really fun. And uh, those guys were just such professionals. And they really help people, you know. There was, it was easy for me because I had so much machine experience and stuff. I kind of got to help a little bit. And then they just really help people come away with a bike there, you know? And if 1% of the people go on to do it again, that's that some of them do. And look at them, they're, they're famous frame builders that are successful now. Mm -hmm. And then there's other, there's a whole bunch of people that have built one bike and they love that bike. And it's the, it was way better than my first bike that I built in my, you know, that I built, uh, in a bedroom, you know, because of the, it was just way better yeah
0: (laughs) yeah i when i took Um, a frame building class it was a lugged old school frame building class and i knew so little about bikes i knew so little about bike design and bike fitting i had never brazed i had done hardly any mig welding and it wasn't worth a damn but you know i took this two-week class and when i left it wasn't 100% done, but it's pretty much done. And I finished it later yeah. and I assembled it. And, and that frame is still rock solid. And, you know, I don't really feel like riding yeah. a brakeless fixed-gear bike where I live now. It's so hilly here. But, yep, um, yep. but like, you, you know, I, I, I had no right to make that good of a frame out of the gate. It was a credit to the class yeah. that I took. And I had a lot of fun. Yeah, it, and it was really not that expensive considering.
1: Yeah. And, and yeah, exactly. It's, it's a great, I think it's so smart, you know, like that's the other thing, like, Hey, I want to build frames. Okay. Buy a TIG welder or go to UBI. I guess I should have prefaced that or go to, or go to any of the frame t- classes. I'm going to say UBI cause I'm an alum, you know? So mm-hmm. that's, that's the closest thing to an alma mater I have. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, you know, I love those guys. So, um, I just, you know, I was like, and I, you know, I, I saw Ron at the, at the handmade show in, uh, Sacramento this year. And there, you know, like I went and signed the thing and I was like, you know, I, I I love you, man. You're like, you know, that was such an awesome experience for me. And I can only imagine how awesome an experience it was for somebody who didn't know anything going into it. You know, Hmm. I had, I had goals, like I'm going to this thing because this is something I want to offer customers you know, like this is what I'm doing. And I was taking some business classes at the same time. And so it was like, yeah, I'm going to go down there and wait, I have two whole weeks to build a frame. That's awesome. You know, like I'm going to get everything I can out of this, you know? Um, so it was really, and then, then I ended up helping a couple of guys just because I could, you know, and yeah. they didn't mind, you know, I wasn't giving them, you know, uh, Ron and Jim weren't like too bummed at me. They were, and I, and then I, and the other thing too, is like I made Jim go ride with us. Like, He was a little standoffish, Mr. Cool. And I was like, you're going riding with us. Because two two other dudes in the class, uh, Pete Olivetti was in my class. Oh, cool. And I was, yeah. And we got along, like, we were instant friends. And we went riding a bunch together, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was just like, instant friends. We're going riding. And we're making Kish go ride with us. Like, no, dude, you're going riding with us. You have to. And we took him riding. And he had more fun than he let on to. And it was a great time. So, so it was a great. pretty special experience. So, yeah, because Ashland has killer riding, you know. And there's one in Portland, too, and so that's a different kind of riding. There's not mountain biking right there. But Ashland, you're riding out the door and going and hitting some pretty bitchin' trail that I loved. I, I had no problem riding, you know, four weeks every day after class. Uh, I rode every day, and I loved it, you know. so That's awesome. Because I took two classes. And then I bought myself a, a Philip Ray's cross cross frame later and um i brought my own seat stays because i do i did my signature thing was these square tube seat stays that i put on a diamond angle and that was a mistake that made became a thing i did it was like just one of those like i had this i ran out of i killed all the round tubing i had and i just had a couple pieces of square tube and i was like looking at the bike and i was like oh if these were s-bend and turn on the angle this would look really cool and so that became like a thing i did a lot
0: so Mhm. Uh yeah, so, so now speaking um, of fillet brazing, when I was talking to Jeremy last week from Gallus Cycles, I asked him about his fillet brazing technique and I'm just curious how different people do it, which is uh if you heard that episode, I was just saying like the way yeah, that I yeah. learned was you do a sort of like the size of a garden pea or something like a like mm-hmm, a blob. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And then yep. you let that freeze, and then you do another one next to it, and then you let that freeze. you flow the first two together, and then you you advance again, you lay another one, you flow those two together, and you see some people yeah. more like tig welding, they're just going around the joint. What's your preferred method, yeah. or do you have an opinion?
1: So I don't do it enough any like the last Philip braze frame I did as was a cruiser, you know, and it it it's you know I should have practiced a little bit more like I literally hadn't braised. Philip raised anything for probably 10 years, you know? And I was like, Oh, I'll throw this, you know, this bike, uh, my friend Cameron Falconer gave me this really awesome Moro hub. And this project had been taking, like, I knew what I wanted it to be for a long time. And I finally had it all together and was like, you know, I'm just going to make a bike for me. It's going to be really beautiful. It's going to look like a 1938 Colson. And, um, so, and I'm just going to do some stuff that I know people don't do. And, um, so I fill it, it cause it was a cruiser and, uh, you know, it's a little rougher in places, but it really fits the era of the bike. It looks like it was made in thirties. Like some of it's really beautiful and some of it's a little rough. And, uh, I do the TIG welding style, but I tin all the joints first
2: mm-hmm. and,
1: um, and I just kind of, and I, and it, I kind of do it that way because I'm a TIG welder, I think. And, um, I've seen a lot of different ways. I mean, granted the first way I did it was with flux coated rod. And I would just pile it on and then turn the frame and pile it on and turn the frame and pile it on and then file it, you know, Mm -hmm. and then have to put more on, you know, like it was, it was pretty awful. So, um, now what I did with that, you know, as I sweat the whole joint out, like I go in and just do a tin, you know, I guess they call it tinning and that way I know I can see it pouring into the, um, as I'm doing it, I can see it pouring into the gap or not really the gap, but I can see it pouring into the joint. Mm-hmm. So I know I'm getting a little, I'm getting, uh, I'm satisfied with my internal fillet that way, mm-hmm. you know, super clean it. I use gravity to pour it into the internal fillet and I will do that. And then I'll just rip back around it with a filler pass over that. And that filler pass is the aesthetic. And I dab super fast and, and try to haul on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, so, um, so that's, I've never really had anybody else show me how to do it. You know, like at EBI, it was kind of a, this is kind of what brazing looks like, you know, and then, and then people would practice and, and that's, I didn't tin it there. I just did a single pass, but it was mm-hmm. very much the TIG welding style. And I found that dabbing it pretty fast um, makes the joint not have a lot of, the ripples are so close together. and so evenly sized that it files out really fast. Oh, that's you know? Uh Yeah. And then I learned, you know, like John Slotta uh, from, from Landshark, used to just do gigantic fillets and he knew exactly the size of the fillet to work with the dynophile. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he would make these big fillets and the reason he did that was because he knew because he was such a production monster that he knew what it had shape it had to be so that he could make the, the dynophile dinophile pass on it really fast. Without yeah. being like, Oh, it's down in here He's just like whoop 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 whoop, whoop done so <laughs> you know, like I made thousands and thousands and thousands of bikes, and that's how he did that. You know, so he knew the, the fillets on the inside, might the inside of the seat stays were huge. You know, like the seat stays, seat tube junction. You know, the seat cluster there. Yeah, They were, were giant fillets so that you could put a file in it. You know,
0: versus uh, having this little thing that
1: you know, the bigger it is, the easier it is to file right there. You know. Yeah,
0: the shallow the nice angle would be and, able to get a you would need to use a tiny file Mm -hmm. and then you wouldn't be able to take it. Exactly.
1: And you fiddle fart around with it and he's just like, yep. So (laughs) good thing to know, you know? So, and you also didn't have to make the miters as tight that way. That's another thing, you know? So, um, that's a, that's a a thing that it's, you know, commonly known about, about that style, you know, Richie's maybe a little bit that way. Richie did this weird thing where he'd braise it all together. And then instead of using a file so much, he would use his torch to kind of, flatten out the, the thing, you know, mm-hmm. just go and kind of push the weld around or braze around with his, with his, uh, with his torch and get the shape he wanted to out of that, you know? So yeah, I think but, that, you know, there's almost as many ways as there are people, yeah. uh, you know, so, so I'd uh, never heard of, you know, I'd never seen or heard of the, the piece shape thing before. I,
0: I didn't even know about it. It made me listening. To that made me think, well, I might, I might try that someday. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, but I, I would. You know, I, I would yeah. love to know more about the science and the metallurgy. Um, and I don't know as much as I could know, obviously. But um, you know, yeah, I, yeah. My, my suspicion with the way that I was taught to do it is that possibly it just puts more total heat into the joint than you than you could otherwise get with like a faster method. Is my suspicion, mm-hmm. and that that could create yeah. a larger heat affected zone, and it might not be as strong. The benefit of it was that uh, the way that we learned to do it, you're not using a raging flame. So for a beginner, you know, you have a little more time to react to stuff. And then, um, you know, if you're careful, uh, you can lay a very smooth profile. You know, I did a lot of practice joints before I made any bikes, but um, it wasn't that hard to to lay something pretty smooth. And then I would spend a while with files and emery cloth trying to pretty it up, but it was already a pretty decent shape because, you know, if I remember my instructor uh, Herbie Helm, who was an assistant to Doug Fadick in that class, he was saying like, you know, if you can spend one minute with the torch going around, just smoothing things over a little bit, you might save yourself, you know, ten minutes or an hour with the hand file. Yep. a, f- a thing that's going on that's kind of cool about
1: fillet brazing is you have this, you have really lo- your reinforcement is you know multiples of the wall thickness, right? You know, like in in the real world in TIG welding, you want your You want your uh, throat of your weld to be basically one times the thickness of your thinnest tube that you're joining to the thing, right? So the throat's the deepest section from the root of it to the surface of the weld. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so TIG welding, you don't, you know, it's a little easier with bikes just because it's going to heat up the zone pretty fast. You don't have to preheat it. And then as far as stress relieving goes, if you, don't just end you know you don't start and end on tacks you you start out off of a tack you know you tack it up and then you start not on it and go around it and, and uh your time input your your time to heat ratio is good in that you're not there for very long so you're not sending a ton of heat into it and then as far as stress relieving goes the first section of weld is the the heat affected zone around that's going to cool first so if you overlap your last beads a little bit, you're gonna reheat that zone a little bit and stress relieve it. And you're gonna protect yourself from uh hydrogen cracking, you know, somewhat hi- protect yourself from hydrogen cracking. So um with fillet brazing, you're not getting to the same temperature. So even with time, you might just kind of burn the zone you're right in. But then with that larger reinforcement area, as long as you have good root pen or groot, you know, the, the penetration into your joint good, Um, that's where a lot of your strength is coming from. Then your reinforcement, as you're heating that up, you're actually stress relieving in the area that you're welding. So, or brazing, um, this old blacksmith guy told me, he's like, that's called braze welding and made me look it up. And he's like, yeah, it's braze welding. So, um, he's a super old school guy. He's like, you know, I'm like, it's Philip brazing. He's like, that's braze welding, you know? <laughs> um, it's not just brazing. Cause you braze in a hearth, you know? And I was like, Oh, okay. So yeah, he told me that's what was going on. And you know, so there's, you know, you're getting into the top molecules of the steel that the bronze is getting in there. You know, bronze is obviously doesn't have the tensile strength that, um, that steel does, but it has, um, it has good elongation and it has enough tensile strength and it also by having the joint be slightly weaker than the material around it um there's uh it keeps it from breaking somewhere else you know it's it's a bit of a an absorption you know it, yeah. it takes some of the stress out of the joint so yeah, you can't make you know, a people thing
0: like, that's like impossible of failing that that's that's invincible and so how it fails is something that you would like yeah. to be kind of graceful. Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. And, you know, brazing, it doesn't, you know, unless you do it wrong, super wrong, 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 which is possible, but you're not going to, you're not going to have, it's not going to take the tubes out into martensitic phase or whatever, you know? So, um, so it, the grain structure is, is less susceptible to hydrogen cracking you know, in the cooling phase. Plus it cools slowly. You know, you have the whole joint pretty damn hot. So it's going to cool down, you know, providing, you know, you don't stick it in water right away, or you don't have air blowing over it. If you let it air cool, it's going to really have a very even cooling and it cools slowly. And you had the whole, the whole thing is going to cool at about the same rate. So that's a really cool thing about brazing, you know, so, and if you do your TIG welding right too, that's another thing. And, That's something that I'm more concerned with with work. I mean, if TIG welding didn't work, if it was so hard, there'd be a lot of broken bikes out there, Yeah. you know? Um, But it works pretty good. It's super forgiving, you know? It's super forgiving. I've seen some pretty horrendous stuff. I've made some pretty horrendous stuff and plowed it through rocks and logs and stuff, and you're like, how did that stay
0: together, (laughs) you know? So Yeah, when you're building out of steel, especially. Yeah, uh...
1: yeah. Yeah, it's very forgiving. 4130, it's a reason that, you know, there's a reason that I'm the 4130 welder at a carbon fiber airplane company. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the planes I build are $3 billion carbon fiber planes and they have steel engine mounts.
2: So
0: that's how that works. So it's cool. Um, there's still lots to learn, you know, I'm learning, uh, you know, more and more as time goes by. That's what's exciting is that, you know, you can start any of this at a basic level. I mean, whether it's bike fabrication or it's any pursuit in life, I guess, but like you can get in at the ground floor. You could, you could like buy the patterick manual and you could buy a lug set and a tube set and use a map gas torch and you could braise together a rough, a rough, old school lugged road frame or something you know and it wouldn't necessarily be straight and you maybe roast the joints but like you could probably put a ton of miles on it without it failing and like you can get started pretty easily and then there's like you can continue to learn forever you know like there's no limit to like what you can learn and what you can challenge yourself to do i always see the stuff that uh mark is doing at provost cycles in australia and he's doing a lot of stainless and I think some titanium. I forget if he's doing titanium. But he's doing like 3D printed um, dropouts that are so fascinating to me. And just like the nature of all the stuff that he's doing is like just blows my mind. And I'm so stoked and impressed when I see it. And it's like – and, you know, like I'm sure there are people who are impressing him and inspiring him. There's like – there's just always further you can take this stuff, which is – I don't know. I think it's just really exciting. And for me, you know, like it's a thing that's
1: happened along the way is I, I was like, I want to make, I, can I talk myself into making a version of the same bike and a lot of them make them in production? You know, it's well, no, because I can't focus that long on one thing. You know, I'm going to change, like I would change my, the design of my fixture halfway through a bike because yeah. I'd just be like, you know, what? And, and I built a, like, I probably, I think that might be a thing where I'm different than a lot of frame builders is. I built tons of different styles, stuff that isn't even fixturable, Um, you know, anyway. And then I also was like, I built all my own jigs, And I've used, a funny thing in there as well, is I've used other people's fixtures as well. I've used an Arctos. I've used a Henry James. I've used um, a couple anvils. um, I've used some other small parts tooling, some Sputnik stuff. I used a one-off jig that IRD built to build frames. Um, back in the day and um you know i've just used and then i've used seven or eight of my own different frame design jigs you know frame jigs you know like the last three built bikes i built were on two different fixtures that i was just fucking around with Mm -hmm. like hey i want to make it like this and i have like my last bike i built was like i have this new idea i want to build everything from the rear dropouts forward because i want my bike to always be going forward from the very beginning of this life. <laughs> so it's totally ridiculous. Like I, I understand the the, the silliness of that, you know, because for the most part, you build a front triangle, build chain stays, put the chain stays on that, put the seat stays on it, put the braces in, put the pieces on and call it good, you know, yeah. or some people maybe put the dr- the water bottle bosses in and the, the internal routing stuff before the tubes are mitered or whatever. Or after the tubes are mitered, then they put it together. But, you know, like for the most part, it's front triangle first, chain stays, uh, seat stays, you know. And then I was like, man, I want to build the chain stay. I want to start at the dropouts, build the chain stays forward, put the bottom bracket shell on, and then, and then, and then kind of build the rear end first and then build the front triangle. And the other thing that happens with that is I'm doing all, I'll do all, all the hard stuff first, you know. Mm -hmm. So the bikes don't decelerate. They accelerate as they're going. (laughs) Oh, my God. Right there. They're always accelerating. You know, start at the hardest
0: place, work forward. They're moving forward and accelerating. Yeah. I always (laughs) like when you build the back end first, I always like calling that uh, building the bike ass backwards. Yes. Yes.
1: So you're (laughs) like, yep, I'm going to start at the back and move forward and do all the hard stuff first, you know, get because. You know, a lot of frame builders will tell you, like, by the time you were putting that thing in a box to send it to the powder coater, you're kind of over it, Mm -hmm. you know, especially if you do goofy shit with it. You know, you're just like, oh, man, I am done with this thing. I am ready for the next one. I love you. Please go out in the world. Bye. You know, it's like your kid graduated. You're like, get your ass out. Get a job. Go make that person. Go make that customer happy. Now I'm tired of seeing you. Mm (laughs) And next, please. You know, what's the next <laughs> one? I want to start again. You know, so that's kind of a my. You know, that's my a. I guess imaginary philosophical take on it. You know. Yeah. So.
0: Uh, so what, yeah. It's, yeah. Then I, yeah. So, go ahead. What's the most ridiculous bike you ever built? When we were at NABS in Sacramento, uh, you were telling me about all these just like incredible and fantastical ideas you had for bikes that you, you didn't just have an idea and say, wouldn't it be funny if, but you had actually made a lot of these. Uh, you should, you should share some of those.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I've definitely just, for reasons, I just built silly stuff. Um, some of it was silly, but it was like a job and production, you know, like some of the silliest bikes I built were, uh, cargo bikes for Metro feats, you know, long John bikes, like they're, They're just kind of silly bikes, and I made one for myself that was even different than what they had me building for them, Um, you know, just as a strange bike. Like, it has a linkage to connect your steering, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's just a big bent tube, and and I put a wheelbarrow on mine, and then I made the, the platform shaped like a coffin, and then I made a rear rack. And I made that stuff out of, like, angle iron and expanded steel, you know. And then the rear rack also looked like a cockpit. So I wanted it to be like a rat rod, you know? So, yeah. and then I put a wheelbarrow on it and, <laughs> you know, just silly, that bike. So that's like medium. And then I built a tall bike that is actually quite elegant. It's, uh, I took it to NABs in, uh, in, uh, Austin, Texas. And like, people are just like, what? You know, I was just like, yeah, it, it, yeah, I definitely didn't fixture this thing. Um, but it was, it was kind of in a, in a, as an, uh, just saying awesomeness to these guys up in Portland that built the, this, that built like welded two frames welded together tall bikes. I was like, I'm going to be, a, I'm a frame builder. I'm going to make a beautiful one, you know? Mm-hmm. That thing was totally stupid bike. It had an eccentric bottom bracket and a two speed, uh, uh, two speed kickback coaster, you know? So mm-hmm. it, was, it was very beautiful and elegant bike. Um, um, but it was pretty silly. The steer tube was so long it would rattle inside the super long head tube. You could oh, hear it wow. rattling in there.
0: Glick, 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 you need like like a, like a was, pilot bearing in the middle. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. It was six feet long, you know? So it was freaking long it was really tall. That whole thing was super tall. And then wow. I fell off I kinda of fell off at one time and hurt my shoulder. So oh, no. and then um the straight up most ridiculous bike I built though was the only the only part of it that was a bicycle tube, like if you were going to buy bike parts for it, was the bottom bracket shell. Like no other part of it was a, it was a bicycle tube. Um, and it was, in a, it was a BM, an American BMX bottom bracket. Mm-hmm. And um, I just was in my garage one day and I had, um, I had this two and a half by two and a half perforated signpost you know, like the stuff that they, you know, but it wasn't galvanized. So it was all rusty. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, I'm I'm just going to build a bike off of that. So I don't know if you're familiar with the Trimble, uh, Brent Trimble used to make these bikes out of carbon fiber. So it was really just one tube from the head tube. And then the seat tube kind of went off the top and the bottom bracket came off the bottom. And then the seat stays weren't, there wasn't really seat stays or chain stays. There's like an elevated chain stay thing. Mm -hmm. And they just split off of that tube and went to the dropouts. And so I just took a piece of angle iron and welded it onto that and some inch and a half square mild steel tubes and welded onto that. And then I took some more angle iron and notched it and made (laughs) dropouts out of it. And then I welded this other thing on and I welded the rails of an ideal leather saddle to that piece of tubing. Wow. And And then I made the fork was a dual crown fork and I just welded washers onto that piece of uh, perforated tube, just welded washers onto the top and bottom of that, and then I built the fork onto it. No bearings. It had no headset bearings. (laughs) It was just a shaft going through that thing, and it was a double crown fork, which just welded uh, one-inch square tube, like quarter wall or eighth wall, and then the dropouts I also just made out of some rock-climbing hangers, like uh, wrap hangers. Wow. And that bike had a drum brake in the rear and I made, I put some motorcycle handlebars on it and um, it was pretty ridiculous. There's a picture of it on my Flickr somewhere. Um, And I rode that thing. And and so no bearings in the headset means that when you sit on it, it loads the fork and it gets stiff. So there's no natural centering of it. Like that bike, you had to absolutely have 100% input of steering at all times or it would just <laughs> loop out and crash. <laughs> and then if you crash, you'd get tetanus probably because it was all rusty. And then the other thing that I did that was sort of a joke is I welded pieces of chain, like, um, like chain for like a, an anchor or something, you know, like mm-hmm. literally link chain, not bicycle chain, uh, chain that, and I welded it from the top of the seat tube thingy thing, seat thing to the dropout area on the cha- elevated chainstay things. And so they were loose chains. They were just loose, you know, they're just welded on the ends, And then people are like, what is that? And I'm like, look, they're chainstays. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> that was just a totally, and so I took that bike to a bike show in Portland one time and that was pretty funny. You know, Like people were just like, what the, like, and you know, and then I had like a totally beautiful, you know, Take welded mountain bike frame with that, uh, mm. you know, next to it or whatever. So we no, are just
0: like, what is this thing? Is the, is the spirit of, or the inspiration for that sort of like the, the, the signpost monstrosity sort of bike is part of the idea with that. Like, um, just that you thought it'd be cool or is there a little bit more going on? Like maybe you get a little bit tired of the business face that you're, Feel like oh. you need to put on and like the polished like everything it yeah. shows is so yeah. polished in the paint jobs and yeah. it's like maybe losing touch with what you really actually are excited about and care about or something and it's kind of like a you know it's it's kind of like a reaction or something yeah totally
1: uh, I mean part of it was just I'm, an, I'm a little bit inspired by the stuff laying around me like I saw that thing and the first thing I saw was a bicycle you know mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like not most people would see that. Most people would be like, we need to put this in the recycling bin <laughs> so nobody gets hurt on it because the front was cut off of the torch, you know? Yeah. So it was just jagged edge. And I was like, oh man, that would be a completely ridiculous bite to make. And, you know, and I took it to show, right? part of it is, and I, you know, this was maybe to my detriment. And, you know, the music uh, that made me, the first music I liked was punk rock, you know? Mm-hmm. And so the first music I liked was pretty much bad musicians playing really short songs and they're full of angst, you know? Yeah. And, and mostly hardcore, not like true punk, you know, you're, you know, you know, uh, I was like hardcore, I liked hardcore punk rock, you know? So, Mm -hmm. and, you know, so it's like black flag and, and, you know, uh, Minutemen were maybe a little more polished, but you know, black flag and minor threat was where it started, you know, Mm -hmm. and DOA and all these stupid bands like that. And you're like, so I always had that kind of thing. My company was Vulture Cycles because of my nickname. So the very first thing I did was name my company after something that is known to be kind of ugly. Nobody's like, oh, those are beautiful. You know, I just straight up, my nickname was Vulture in Flagstaff. (laughs) And partly because of of things I did and things I ate. And and I love vultures, too. Like, I just had a thing about vultures. Mm -hmm. And so I just started my company out by being like the first thing I did was call it vulture cycles. I went down, made stickers and they were typewriter. You know, I just was like my whole aesthetic to me that felt good was I'm not going to hire anybody to make my shit look good. Mm-hmm. You know, cause it's not, it's not, it's, I don't want it to be pretty. I, I want it to be raw. I want you to ride it. I want you to ride it in the fucking ground. Mm-hmm. I want you to smash it into stuff and I want you to destroy it, you know? And, and, and uh that and and so that that it's really hard to like it's a kind of dumb way to make a business because that's not a successful model yeah (laughs) i've proven that (laughs) i proved that you know so so when i did try to make things pretty which i could do just because of you get skills over time and then i was like oh wait swoopy things actually are pretty and i i do appreciate the aesthetic of a beautiful bicycle Mm -hmm. you know i i drool over beautiful bicycles Um, I understand what makes it beautiful to me, like my aesthetic was brutal, you know, like I wanted it to be brutal. I wanted it to be raw and brutal. I don't have paint on any of my bikes, except for uh, a bike that my friend who's an amazing painter painted, but my bikes don't have paint on them because I don't paint for shit and I'm not going to put any money into painting it, (laughs) you know? Um, and I want to show off what I did. You know, the stuff I did is this weird metalworking stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. so, um, and also it's like, I'll probably, my mountain bike's going to get three seasons out of it before I learn about some new thing I want to do.
2: You know, it's
1: in constant development. So, um, yeah, and so it's like, well, okay, well, you have to make a polished website. You have to have a polished thing, you know, and I was like, okay, the nicest part of my bike is the way I miter it. I clean the tubes and I'm going to weld it really sick you know, and then I'll try to make it look nice because it's actually for someone else. (laughs) The customer would like to have some, they're not the vulture. They just like me, you know, I appreciate that that they're not vultures. They're really nice people that appreciate beautiful things. So maybe make them a beautiful bike, you know, so Mm -hmm. to do your best to make something really pretty for these people, you know? And so I think that was my thing and my marketing, I always wanted to be like subversive marketing you know, I didn't want it to ever, I wanted it to be as DIY and subversive, subversive as possible, which is also not a great, you know, I went to a business class and they're just like, what are you doing? Are you trying not to get customers? And I'm like, yeah, I'm like trying to weed out the ones I don't want. And they're like, you weren't more, you idiot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, so. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah, I I can relate stuff. to a lot of that stuff in the years that I had where, I was, I don't know if I was ever giving it like a totally earnest go of it, but like um, uh-huh. the the idea always for years was that I wanted to be a frame builder as like my primary income, you know, because I love bikes, I love making stuff and I didn't want to work for anybody else. Right. That's the story. Um, And, and yep. so I was working toward that and I was trying to take it seriously. I really love the craft of it and I love, I like nice things and I like making nice things. But, like, I'm also not that fancy of a person, you know? Like, like yeah, I just got yeah. thrilled a couple months ago about buying a 25-year-old pickup that has, like, the paint looks like, a, it looks like a turd, you know? Like, I'm excited about the mechanicals of the truck. But, like, anyway, I'm just, like, in yeah. a lot of ways, not in every way, but in a lot of ways in my life, I'm just not that fancy of a person. And here you are with this skill set where it seems like, Generally, the only way to really make any money on frame building is to have like a high end brand that speaks to the kinds of people who can pretty casually drop, like, you know, six to 15 grand on a custom bike or something, right? So, like, you need to yeah, be able to relate yeah. to those people, and that's just what it is, you know, for better or worse. Like, if you can't do that on a regular basis, you know, it's probably going to be a difficult business if you're trying to make money on it you might enjoy yeah. it as a hobby, whatever. And so like, it, I can relate yeah. to that because it was always is tricky for me to, to find it. And, and you know, I, what I do relate to is like people who love doing frame building. And so like, that's something that I've focused on more lately is like, you know, those are my yeah. people and serving them with the products and services and stuff that I have yeah. to
1: offer. And, it, and it, you know, the the thing about the thing about making tools is you can make those things look really nice. You can put some time into it and, you there's some efficiency in making more than one at a time, you know, Mm -hmm. you're going to make a run of these and a run of these and you can tweak on your programming. You can work on your cutter comps to get your shit dialed in for the precision that it has to be. And then you can make that thing. Like you're a tool company. So they, they're tools, tools are different, you know, like tools aren't bikes. So they're, what's really cool about that. You're going to help this guy make a thing. You're going to get them all anodized black, you know, they're all going to be anodized black. And they're going to have nice, you know, nice, uh, engraved, uh, numbers and letters in them. You make them legible and readable, you know? So you get to be clean there, but then you can put it in a nice uh, cardboard box, you know, and then you can stamp that, you know, yeah. some people's stuff is so clean, like, um, you know, and so through envy and, and, uh, jealousy, I don't like their bikes, you know, like, <laughs> I'm like, what's wrong with that bike? Like that thing's fucking perfect so does it ride at all like when you ride it does it just feel soulless because it feels <laughs> like there's something missing out of that bike yeah like, if,
0: if you want things, a perfect and polished bike you can just go to your local bike shop and get like a yeah you know some some, some yeah. uh polished you know carbon fiber yeah. piece which is probably totally lovely but that is something yeah, special that you get from yeah. the custom bike world is that like somebody who you can have a conversation with made it and they made it to your specs. And, um, there's something nice about the raw, the rawness of it. Yeah.
1: So there's some frame builders that I'm like, they're just too perfect. What, like, where's the fuck up in it? Like, where's the thing that's fucked up with that? And you know, and it's, you know, and, and, and some people just don't. And then there's some people that I'm just like, that thing is so freaking awesome. Why, you know, like there's other people that, they maybe have all that stuff dialed in but then they just have a good vibe about it they don't have any attitude they just let their work speak for themselves like a really good example to in my mind like one of the reasons i don't think i would really ever try to make a living making titanium frames mm-hmm. is because firefly already exists yeah like they exist i will never make a bike as nice as them there's no way
0: you know yeah it's unreal and
1: they their their stuff is their Marketing is fully polished. Their whole image is really polished. Mm-hmm. But they come across very, as very approachable and really cool people, and they just seem really happy. You know, they don't have the – there are other frame builders that are like, my shit is perfect, and I – there's nothing that's not perfect about me. You know, my shit don't stink. There's no part of me that doesn't stink. You know, and it's like, no, man, you're a fucking frame builder. There's some stuff about you that stinks, you know? (laughs) So what, what is your deal? Like, why are you trying to, you know, I won't share this thing. I know about this thing. You're like, whatever, you know, like there's another way to do it. Who cares? You know, there's, we're not reinventing. We're not curing cancer here. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're making freaking bikes for rich white guys for the most part. So, uh, okay, great. You know, good for you. Um, you know, so, and, and, you know, I make airplanes now, so I'm st- I'm making the same, I'm making a different thing, uh, for rich white guys, you know? So, mm-hmm. uh, that's just how it goes. But, um, you know, I guess that's, that's what you do if you're a not rich white guy. So you work <laughs> on those things. So Lords and surfs, but, uh, right? yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. So the, um, you know, there's I just sometimes so I like that, but like there are people out there that just have this perfect polished thing, but then, I love that the social media world, like Instagram, for example, people put up the best pictures, obviously, because you're trying to make a living, but it's rad. Everybody knows what to look for, for the, the like a the little bit of a screw up or I love it when somebody's like, whoa, that was hard. You know, like, oh, I'm so stoked about how this one came out. Cause that was kind of hard. And, oh, uh, here's some pictures of me riding this weekend on the new bike I built for myself. I finally got time or uh, here's, a customer sent me this picture of his bike. He got it built up and he's riding it here. And this is so rad. You know, it's like, I really appreciate it when people are showing that, Yeah. Um, you know, a little bit of the process, you know, uh, yeah. a little bit of the process, a little bit of the final product and a lot of the people enjoying it. And mm-hmm. a lot of the people who are building it looking like they enjoy what they're doing too. Yeah. You know, like it, you know, cause it's fun as hell at times. It's, it's like this crazy stressful, but fun thing too, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it could have been less stressful maybe if I have just bought a jig and a mill and, you know, like followed through with and just built, kind of been like, okay, I'm going to sort of settle on a design that's sort of my signature and I'll settle on that and build those mostly, you know, like, no, I can't do that, you know, so, mm-hmm. um, you know, so there's well, some I mean, stuff you can definitely tell people have signature shapes and uh,
0: Yeah, but you have a very interesting body of work And I've seen, you know, in in preparing for this podcast, I was looking on your Flickr and I was looking up, you know, some YouTube videos. And you've made a pretty, like, interesting body of work. A lot of different kinds of bikes. Uh, And, you know, I'll post when I I post about this uh, release of this podcast. I'm going to do a post on Instagram with the collection of some interesting images of yours uh, and stuff you've made that I thought was really cool. Um, But, you know, just for folks who are looking for more of this, uh, who maybe aren't as familiar with your work. But, uh, you know, I mean, yeah. if, if you had just boxed yourself in, and I think that that's one of the things I kind of wanted to get at in this interview is that, you know, you've done a lot of frame building, you're very good at the fabrication, you've made a lot of very beautiful bikes, you've made some really out there bikes, and these days you're just building for yourself and for your friends and for fun, and that kind of changes the nature of what you can and you can't do, what you can get away with, and like what your goals and motivations are, and um, I completely relate to the desire to, you know, start your own business and, and try and make it work so that you don't have to show up at work for someone else every day and that you get to serve your own yeah. customers. I get that. But like the the nature of it changes when, um, when you're just doing it for fun and you're just doing it for fuck's sake. You know, you're just doing it exactly like oh, whatever yeah. you wanted to do. Yeah. And I see that yeah. in a lot of the stuff that you've done that it's like because you didn't because you weren't so narrowly focused on this one goal of like trying to make it a commercial success all the time, it allowed you to do really interesting and cool stuff. And I, I love that. And I, I'm like glad that you have done those things because it makes it way more interesting to talk to you about your experiences.
1: Yeah. And it, it, it just, yeah, it made it fun and, and, uh, I mean, I recently sold my, my mill and my lathe. I'm like, I've, you know, I kind of have this feeling like I'm kind of moving out of it. I already weld, you know, and I fabricate so many hours. This winter was really cold, and I was in here building some bikes, and I'm just like, I just can't do that anymore. It's too damn cold. And then in summer, I'm going to ride. So, yeah. you know, it might be a while before I build another bike. It, it's, uh, it's not like I don't have the ideas kind of churning around, but I'm much better – at just kind of maybe writing them down and then rolling up that piece of paper and recycling it because it's like, I need to let that thing go. I need to stop being obsessed by thinking about those things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I have a teenage son and, and I have a relationship with an awesome woman and um, those things are just, those, those things are, are more important uh, than frame building. Um, I still, and I still have like uh, fixture ideas like i almost don't want to build another bike until i build my like my dream jig you know and i have and i just have this idea like a whole suite of things like i like a start to finish and i want them to all match you know and i don't want them to be black anodized i just have this really funny thing and it's like well, that would be kind of silly to build all that stuff, <laughs> you know, but it really interests me, you know, like I would say, cause I build tools at work a lot. Like I build, I build fixtures for, uh, I build fixtures for welding these airplane parts together. Yeah. And you know, those aren't like, I don't get to make them pretty, you know, like mm-hmm. I make them and they make the part, they hold the parts together and I make one or two of them and they go, they get a serial number stamped onto them, a part number stamped onto them and a date they get measured and they get put on a shelf until the part gets made again, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, there's a lack of elegance there. I can, as much elegance as possible in the making of it to make the part rapidly and accurately, Mm -hmm. but it's, it doesn't get to be pretty at all. You know, it's like, you know, and I make a lot of them, you know, there's, you know, there's 120 steel parts on this thing. And it's just like, well, it's gotta be, you know, these are 120 parts. And it's like, well, I got to make a picture for that. I got to make a fixture for that. It needs to be repeatable, accurate, and it just needs to get done, you know, and it bolts together, you know, so mm-hmm. it bolts and pins together. Or sometimes I just have to weld the thing together, you know,
0: so. Um, yeah, I bet I could learn it, goes, so yeah. much uh, from looking at that sort of stuff and, you know, studying that yeah. sort of thing. You know, I, I always take the design of the tools that I make very seriously, and I have like folders on my computer of like all the bike tooling and some other random fixtures and stuff, anything I can ever mm-hmm, get my mm-hmm. hands on. And I just pour over these images and I study and I notice different things that work. And and then I, you know, I listen to other people's experiences about what they do and don't like about the tools they have. And I try my own stuff, but like, you know, I still only have yeah. the experiences that I have. And, uh, you know, you've, you've done a lot of that stuff. I'm sure I can learn a lot from that too. And then another thing with bikes, uh, a thing
1: that, you know, I didn't have good tools Well, really the whole time, because I made all my own tools. Not that I didn't make good tools, but I was a pretty much a total cheapskate as well. Like, you know, like I built a lot of tools out of drops and rems and extra material, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I was just like, oh, I'm going to make this thing here. And it, you know, might not have been that beautiful or whatever. Um, But another thing that happened, it's like you build 10 bikes and you need the tools to kind of get you going on it. There are time, you know, like later on in the game, that stuff doesn't, like, I could, I used to fight to get a square miter on something, and then later on, it just, it just happens. Like, because of practice,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, because of practice, like, it used to take me a long time to do certain things, and now I can just walk over to the bench, throw a, throw a block in the vice, and just be like, Oh, the dropout's going to go in about here. You file it out with a, you know, with a uh, file, you know, hit mm-hmm. it with a hacksaw, hit it with file, done. I can do that faster than I can set it up with a, um, with a uh, slotting tool on the mill. Yeah. You know, if I'm going to do 30, I'm going to put it, I'm going to set up a thing on the mill and do it with a slotting tool. But if I'm going to do two, I'm going to bust them out on the vice and they'll be as accurate and get done faster. Just because my hands just kind of know how to do it now. And it's like my hands know how. So if I get my brain out of the way and just, and listen to the music, then I just make the thing. It's like, Oh, that's click, click. Oh, that was easy. click. Oh, that's what that looks like. It is funny how that happens just through practice. You know, Um, there are very tool heavy people, you know, like every bit gets this tool. It's like, that's super good. If you're making the same thing, or if it's, a very, it's very close to the same thing. Like, they all get this particular thing here and this particular thing here, but if you can change it all the time, then it's like, oh, you know, a tool, i got to adjust the tool every time, you know? So I just make it by hand pretty damn fast. And mm-hmm. just by doing it a lot, you know, hands kind of just know how to do it, you know? Uh, watching Eric, uh, Eric from Winter Cycles, he's making knives too, you know? And uh, those things are so sweet. His bikes have always been so sick. And he is such such an amazing fabricator and craftsman Mm -hmm. and thrashed hands dude, um, makes these amazing bikes, you know. And he's not super tool heavy. His hands are building those things, you know. And now he's making knives too. It's like, you're not making tools to make that. That's just getting cut by hand. It's pretty rad. It's the hand and the eye are doing that work. And at some point, when you do it a lot, your hand and your eye are really if they're connected and you have a lot of practice you're going to make, that's where the art, that's where the beauty really Mm -hmm. lies.
0: Yeah. You know, there was a guy I used to work with at a bike shop and he would always joke that, uh, he's like torque wrench, my arms, the torque wrench, you know, and he would, you know, he'd say that it was (laughs) a feel thing, you know, he didn't, he didn't need it. But, but I mean, all joking aside (laughs) though, I mean, yeah, I mean, when, uh, when you do things more and more, it just, it gets so much easier. And, Uh, you know, I I don't have that volume of experience like you do, but you know, I see the same sort of effect with some of the things that I do over and over again, where things you spend so much time doing and redoing in the beginning that, uh, you know, pretty quickly. um, Yeah. It's like, it's like you get it right the first time and, and you didn't even have to think about it.
1: Yeah. And like for welding, you know, like welding a bicycle is really easy thing to weld, you know, like it's thin wall. That's the hardest part about it is how thin the walls might be, you know, but it's, pretty easy thing to weld like I never have to weld the backside of a joint I can't see on a bicycle you know I never have to put a mirror up I never have to crawl into a thing that's too small for my hood to fit in so I have to feel it with my hand first and then close my eyes and weld it blind behind a spot but for the aerospace stuff I do there's some shit I can't see ever you know like I can't flip it over to where I can get to it you know I don't see it until it gets I don't know what that joint looks like until it's out of whatever its fixture is in and, and NBI has seen it, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's maybe been dye penetrant inspected or it's been x-rayed. You know, most of the stuff that I'm doing blind isn't getting x-rayed, you know? So, but um, in fact, nothing I'm doing now, right now anymore is getting x-rayed, but other stuff that I did that was x-rayed, um, you know, there's parts that I couldn't see it while I was doing it, you know? Wow. So um, you just have, you know, some of that and you just work work your way around it and get practice with that kind of stuff and um you know there's comp i make little complicated things that have more weld inches than a bicycle you know uh pretty often you know so um but the thing about bikes is they just you know you have a million eyes looking at them and everybody's a weld inspector you know so it's pretty funny yeah Yeah. you know it's It's
0: interesting um now that I'm doing tool stuff and I just have a YouTube channel where I, you know, I'm doing this mountain bike build series right now where I document all the steps of building a mountain bike and that's fun for me and I'm trying to demonstrate to yeah. the best of my ability the way that I understand things and, and trying to speak from experience for what I think I know and trying to admit the things that I really don't have much authority to say but suggest what what I believe maybe is the right thing. And anyway, um, it's kind of nice because I can admit without really – it's not that embarrassing to admit the things that I don't know or the things I'm not very good at or the, the things I wish were better. Cause it's like, it's not like my reputation is really at stake. You know, like what I do is I make tools yeah. and I need to understand the needs of the frame builder and provide good customer service, good tools. I don't need to be the best welder in the world. And it's funny, um, you know, to get people like, you know, comment on your photos, like, Oh, oh that weld looks undercut. And it's like, yeah, well probably is, <laughs> you know, I don't, what can I say? I think I'm doing okay yeah. considering, but, um, yeah people will say that like that's the one that's the
1: word people know yep you know you know you always wonder Um, when you hear that it's like
0: i would love to have a discussion with someone who's really good at welding who would take the time to critique me in in like a helpful way i would actually love that because i've had so little proper weld instruction that like if this person actually knows what they're doing i would really seriously listen to their critique and take it to heart But like when someone who you don't know, who has no rapport with you says, yeah, that weld looks undercut. Like that's the thing that people say on the internet. And so it's like, I don't know whether or not I can even trust your opinion. And like, most of it isn't. (laughs) Well, well, I'll tell you who
1: won't tell you that you have an undercut weld on your, uh, as a comment on your, well, on your page or on your video, a certified welding inspector. (laughs) They don't do that. They're certified welding inspectors. They go through, a super, you know, I have a couple of friends that are CWIs. It's something I've thought about over the years. Um, you know, it might be, it might be a future path for me. Um, I'm learning different things that, you know, I'm kind of chasing a different rabbit a little bit, mm-hmm. but, um, but I, I have to do tons of weld inspection. I did tons and tons of weld inspection, not as a CWI, but as the, uh, you know, as the lead welder in a, in a welding department, you know, yeah. and it's, you know, we, it's not aesthetics. It's not aesthetics there, you know, and, and um, to what spec are you welding it to? You know, are you welding it to AWS D one, are you welding it to, you know, uh me, you, know, uh, you know, spec, what is your spec you're welding it to? So if you're inspecting it, you're inspecting it to a spec. If you're just inspecting it to the way it looks, you don't know shit about that. weld. Yeah. you know, you don't know what the pen was on it. Like it doesn't matter you know, like, um, really good welders know what they're looking at and you, and you can tell, you know, there are people that, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's an underfill and not an undercut. Maybe it was cold right there. Maybe the angle of the picture, you know, do you take a, are you putting a pick on it and you're scraping it up the side of the wall, you know, and how much, and is it out of spec? You know, there's, there are specs for that stuff yeah. and, um, nobody's a. you know, nobody's penning bicycle frames. So are there pinholes and are there cracks? And you don't see those visually. You know, there are a lot of cracks you can't see visually. Mm -hmm. Um, Are people crater, do people have crater cracks? Do they, you know, and those propagate. Um, What's it look like inside? How many of the joints are people, uh, you know, like I'm not going to critique somebody's weld, and I'm like, yeah, here, weld up this sample. I I want you to weld this sample. I want you to weld four of them six of them we're going to cut them we're going to bend them we're going to run them through all the battery of tests that make you qualified to weld this very next this production item that you have to weld it's it there are cut and dried rules in that world you know yeah. i pretty much follow awsd 17 that's the aerospace uh, fusion welding uh uh standards manual you know so And then some FAA stuff. And so you just, you look at that stuff and you test it by that. So you do these welds that are nothing like the welds you make on the airplane and the bike and you pass those and then they qualify you for these other welds. And then you practice those a bunch and then you cut some of those apart. You, you do a practice weld and you cut them apart and you look at them and you see if it's consistent. You know, you can look at the profile. You can uh, look at it under a very powerful microscope and, um, you can uh, you can put dye on the weld, the contour of the weld from the inside. Um, is it burned through? You know, I've seen really beautiful welds on bikes, and then you look at the inside of the head tube, and the thing is just completely eroded through, or it's fully pinned all the way through, and just burned to hell. You know, mm-hmm. it looks gorgeous on the outside. You know, so um, that's where it's like, oh, it's really good for people to back purge that because uh, they're you know, they're getting a ton of suck back which isn't a real thing but that's like that's like undercut on the back side of the weld mm-hmm. where they're not filling it enough and they're pulling it back through you know mm-hmm. so that's just a great joint for, that's looking for a place to crack you know so um but even so you know like i've seen those things and then you're like oh the bike's still together thank you Crow molly yeah. thank you bike design
0: yep. it's it's amazing how how forgiving steel is and that, like, when it does fail, it's, like, it generally fails in a way that nobody would really get hurt, you know, so long as you're kind of paying attention to things. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's and, pretty amazing. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty amazing yeah, it, how much it, is it, built into that uh, as as sort of, like, a natural safety mechanism.
1: Yeah, and pie is a little less forgiving, you know, so that's why it's, you know, like, that's why it's really important that it... Um, you know, that, that it does that. And then, and then carbon is a real special thing because you don't even know when it's broken, you know, you just don't know. And I've, you know, I've been through so much testing uh, you know, I've seen lots of different kinds of testing, you know, and so I understand how to do tensile testing on steel and um, how that works and how steel has all this elongation It yields before it, you know, it yields before it breaks and and uh, that's a really cool thing to see it neck down and just like well look at it's stress for such a long time you know and then um, you know and what things make steel crack and 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 you know and then aluminum and and tire really different that way Tie is just really different so you know but it makes a cool it makes cool bikes i prefer the way steel bikes ride i've, I've built myself enough tie bikes to be like yeah actually don't like to ride um and that's just a personal thing there's no there's you know, there's no like, there's no math in that one. That's just like my body's like, nah, I like the way steel does. And I can make whatever I want out of it
0: too. Yeah. So, well, and you know, you're um, the vulture, so w- w- wouldn't be fitting yeah. for the vulture <laughs> to have such fancy taste.
1: <laughs> fancy stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. So I, I did the the first like really bitchin' high mountain bike I built. I was super stoked about it, but I just like I just I ended up building a very similar bike out of steel later because mm-hmm. I was like, yeah. I want this thing in steel. I like the way it rides, you know. I just like the way it rides. So, steel is real. The thing I was real. so excited about titanium, well, the thing I was so excited about titanium at the beginning, I was like, you don't have to paint it. <laughs> you know, you don't have to paint it. Sweet. It looks rad when it's done, you know. So, uh, But then people paint tie a lot, and I'm like, why would you do that? Why? It doesn't need it. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> but yeah, you don't even want to paint your cool steel paint, bikes? You know.
1: No, exactly. I like the patina on it. If I lived in some place that was gnarlier, like I'll probably rattle can paint um, this uh, fat bike I've got because I'm going to take it to the coast. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to take it and ride around on the beach, and it'll probably need some love there because the coast. Yeah,
0: well, you and I Uh, were hanging out at Nabs at the one after party at what Squid Bikes in Sacramento, which is like the what the distributor or they have some relationship with Spray Bike you know, the, the high end yeah, sort of yeah. rattle cans. And so I'm doing this mountain bike build series yeah. for YouTube and, uh, they're, they've like sponsored that cause I suggested to them that yeah. I wanted to spray. Cause I'm just like, you know what? Like I love nice paint. And like, we, we talked to Rudy on this show and I think what they're doing is just gorgeous. Oh, yeah. I can relate to that. But like, I've done Still that. And, yep. uh, you know, I just want to like, I just want to have some fun. I want to spray my own paint, make something totally off the wall. Don't want to spend much money doing it. Don't want to spend too much time screwing around on it, and um, like, and I think it'll be yeah. fun for people to watch too. So, like, that's absolutely yeah. the method I'm going on. You know, I don't know if I'd recommend that to everyone, or especially if you're trying to if you're trying to make bikes as a business that are going to appeal to the high end customer. You probably can't use spray bike stuff, but like, it's a lot of fun for me at this point because I don't really give oh, a shit.
1: It's so cool, yeah. And still be, you know, like, and like Rudy said, be safe doing that, you know, yeah, like exactly. take care of yourself, be safe, wear your respirator, you know, uh, yeah, it's still will. it's still a thing you want to be careful with. Um, but so cool. Like, you know, and, and I also, not for me, but for other people, uh, I love the awesome paint jobs, you know, like I have um, just because I don't want one there are things that I see that just knock my socks off. And I'm like, that is so sexy. That is so hot. That is the coolest thing. And what those guys can do. And I, I was uh business partners for a while with a guy named Derek bell that, um, painted for commotion. And then he and I were together and he painted all the bikes that I was making then. And those were probably like the coolest looking bikes I ever made because Derek painted them.
2: Mm-hmm. And they had,
1: Oh, you know, all these things. And I did paint my cross bike at that time. He was like, get in the booth and paint your bike and I'll show you the method for it. You know, he showed me how to mix. He showed me how to, um, the, the way that you spray the tubes vertically and how to hold on to the, you know, and made a thing. And, and he built a real pro b- paint booth and stuff. And Derek was just, he's a really amazing craftsman. Um, he builds single track net, he builds trails now and they're like absolute art. Um, to ride bikes on, and so, um, but I painted my cross bike, and it's the nicest looking bike I ever had for me, you know, because and the, um, it was painted, and and uh, it was fun. But it's like I got that done. I was like, I I cannot do this. <laughs> 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 this would drive me nuts. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, like the raw. I like the raw. But I do have because of that little bit of education, I have a huge appreciation for the, for the high quality painters. Yeah. And, and then you see, you can see the stuff, you know, I, I feel pretty good. And I, you know, about like looking at something and being like, that's pretty, that's, you know, that's not, that's not awesome. And then other stuff, it's like, that is badass. That yeah. is so pro and so good, you know? Um, and I that's think why there's people
0: that, do that. There's a, something to be said. I think there's a parallel between when you're a kid and you're riding bike, f- bikes for fun it is just like it's just freedom it's exhilarating it's exciting and then you know you you grow up and maybe you want to get a job in the bike industry because you love bikes so much and then you take it more seriously and you or, or you know, maybe you like bikes, and now you're working too much, and some other job or whatever, and like it's easy to kind of lose touch with how much you loved it in its pure form or something when you were like first intoxicated by it. And similarly, I think yeah, when perfect. it comes to like the custom bike world, I think back to some of the first custom bikes that really piqued my attention and got me really like enthralled and excited about frame building. Before I knew anything about welding and and like, you know, carved lugs and stuff and all those things, it was the paint jobs I think that really caught my attention in the beginning, whether or not I realized oh, yeah. it. And so, so in that same sort of way, it's like part of why I'm excited to do this DIY multicolor paint job and part of what I love about really well-done uh multicolor paint jobs is just like you know it's it's like an artistic expression and when it looks good it's like hell yeah I love bikes and this thing is just freaking gorgeous. Yep, yep, yep. So that's fun. That's super fun. It's a
1: yeah. And yeah, that's what's that's the I mean no matter what you know, like I took bikes to shows unpainted, you know, and I made little, a little Dymo label, you know, like the put thing that presses out in the, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, the plastic. And I just put it on the front rack of this bike I built that it, it was like this totally overbuilt r- rack and this gnarly bike. And it just said paint is money, you know, and a dollar <laughs> sign there, you know, paint is dollars. And it's like, that's, I didn't mean that as a like diss to painters. I'm like, paint costs money. Yeah. Good paint costs money. You know, that's why it says paint is money here. You know, like that, this bike doesn't have a paint job on it because it's my bike. I don't have the money to put into a decent paint job and I'm not going to paint it because I suck at painting, yeah. you know, and I recognize that. So those guys should get all the money they can yeah. because they do really hard work and it's, you know, that's what sells bikes, you know, like that's, what's going to sell somebody's bike, you know? And, um, uh, that, so that's an awesome thing. That was really cool. That was really cool to hear podcast
0: you know it's just great yeah
1: you know yeah all of them have been fun to hear so far i I, I dug it so yeah so
0: yeah i love talking with rudy and i also and this is just i want to make a note here about One of the coolest things about trade shows, you can think about it from like a business perspective. Oh, it's a trip for me to go and try and represent my stuff. Or maybe you're a hobbyist and you think that someday you would go to a trade show and show your own stuff. And, well, I should go to research to see what it's like. But it's like I think in the years that I've been going to bike shows – Far and away, the best part of going to the bike show is, like, seeing your buddies, seeing your peers, seeing people that you look up to, talking about bikes, talking about, like, what it's like or something. Because, you know, you're stuck in your shop a lot of the time doing this, and you love it, and it's exciting, and you don't have people to talk to about it, and it's just so cool. So when I was at the NABS in Sacramento this spring, I met you for the first time, and we talked a bunch, and I talked to Rudy, and there were a whole bunch of other people, but, like those connections uh get made and strengthened at the shows every year and it's it's the best reason to go to the show
1: yeah and what a you know there's a bunch of really good people there you know like frame builders are for the most part if there's an asshole they get kind of kicked out fast you know (laughs) this is a this is a even though like hardly anybody you know the, you know, there's different, different builders that hang out together more, you know, like some of the California builders actually see each other and hang out with each other. Um, yeah, a lot of people of don't because they're outposted in, Port- in Portland builders, you know, like there's little pockets of places where people actually get to hang out with each other. Um, but other places that don't, but when they get together, you know, but it's a small group that if somebody's doing something sideways and sketchy, um, they get kicked out. Like yeah. they get outed and they get put away, you know, and it, it's, there's a clean way that people that aren't really welcome aren't really welcome. And I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I guess it just is a self-governing thing on that. Um, there's, there's some people that don't like each other, but they have friends that like each other that, that, that both of them, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like in three people, two of the people might not be able to deal with each other, but one other person likes both of them, yep. you know? and 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 uh and so it's it's a funny you know and, and respectful that you know and and so there's their little there's a the little small personality conflicts but for the most part it's like there's these people thrown into uh in into a mix you know i mean i went i hadn't been i haven't been part of this thing for a long time um you know, i have friends that are frame builders that i keep in touch with and follow and keep see what they're doing and i went to Nabs, and I'm just like, I'm just some dude. Nobody's going to know, you know, like I've been out of this. And there are people that remembered me from way back and people that like knew who I was. And I was just like, you got to you kidding me. Like, I'm really, you know, I don't feel relevant in this world. Um, but as a person, we're just friends, you know. And so it was, it was really cool. It was really fun to go there and be like, well, I'm not a frame builder anymore, but I was. So I get to. I can still talk the talk.
0: <laughs> yeah, well I mean you I get it like it. you're 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 on the inside because you know you've done it a bunch and I mean for someone like me um I was interested in frame building and I lived in a small town. I lived in Mount Pleasant, Michigan where I was going to college and then I moved to Syracuse, New uh-huh. York yeah. a couple of years later, which is still a relatively small town. And there's never been yeah. really, like, fancy cycling culture, handmade bike culture. And so I've mm-hmm. been to the Philly Bike mm-hmm. Expo and NABs a couple times in these places. But, like, yeah. it doesn't exist except I was growing up in an era where there was the Internet. And so you would see videos that somebody had made or you would see, like, um, you know, John Watson's website, The Radivist, would have a lot of photo sets of beautiful oh, handmade yeah. bikes. And, like, yeah. if it wasn't for that sort of stuff um, – it would have been really hard for me to get to know it. So anyway, when I was like, you know, younger at this, when I was newer to this and getting started, uh, I had seen some, some of your work when you were doing it more seriously and more steadily. And, you know, so anyway, that makes an impression. I mean, you hold on to that for a long time. Like the people that you look up to in the beginning, uh, are people that you pay attention to for a long time. You don't forget about that.
1: Yeah. R- Rick Hunter is that for me, you know, like, uh, uh, some of those California guys, you know, Rick, and jeremy and um curtis mm-hmm. you know those guys were on my radar i met rick back in like 95 or, or 94 i think at leadville and it was just like that dude made his own bike no way you know and i knew <laughs> of custom bikes but i didn't know i could actually meet the person that did it That's you know awesome. and um it's super funny like we're friends like i've done other stuff with him and hung out with him you know and and uh i still sometimes am like like a fan. Yeah. He was like a dorky fan, you know,
0: he was stoked (laughs) to hear that you were going to be the guest on the podcast this week when I posted on Instagram that I was researching your work. Uh, Cool. Yeah. Cool. Cool. And he's, yeah, he's, I
1: mean, that guy and Tony from tonic, but I mean, it's, you shouldn't just drop names because that's a nerdy thing to do, but there are people out there that build much of their own stuff and hang it out when they do it like they specifically make a bike in a way that i think doesn't make them money you know because they are just (laughs) they just you know and and uh but you know like those guys make their own dropouts and they make them by hand they don't make them on cnc machines they're making on manual mills yeah and it's really cool to see and their work is you know like rick's work is all over the map that guy makes so many crazy bikes and they're so bitching when they're done yeah and then tony makes just sick bikes like i think he's one of the most underrated or under known or uh frame builders there is and that you know especially um there's so many good frame builders in portland that you know there's there's some high end there's some really good people got chops up there because they have to to survive Mm -hmm. and he's just his bikes are killer you know, and I think they rip too. I just, uh, get, they just have the feeling that they just rip, you know? So yeah, uh, maybe the style that I might like to ride, you know, too. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's hard to, there's so many people that I'm still influenced, influenced by. I'll see a bike that somebody makes and I'm just like, I want that so bad. (laughs) I want the bike, you know, like it doesn't, that happens to me and it's like, I could go out in my garage and make something like it that would fit me real good. And I would like the way it ride because it would be my geometry, but it's not as sick as that black cat. That mm-hmm. thing's so sick, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, you know? And so that's fun. There's so many bikes out there that are just so rad. It's cool. It's, it's nabs has made people get good. The internet has made people get good, you know? So, yeah, Um, it's kind of a fun thing. You know, if you suck at it, I don't think you get to do it for very long, you know? So, and then there's some people that make really, you know, I'd like to say that I make good bikes, but was sucky at business and terrible at marketing myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, and then I also just, I I like, I'm kind of a person who should have a job, you know, like um, all the balls in the air, distracted from building the frame. And that's really the part I like. And then also, wanted to make weird stuff. I'd be in the middle of making somebody's bike and really having a fun time and being like, Oh, I'm going to do this on this and this on this. And then I would think of something and it's like, well, I have to make that, you know, I can't make that for a customer. They don't want that, but I want to make that, you know? Yeah. So, like, you know, that'd be a dumb thing or I'd make no money on it. You know, like I would really make, I would lose money to make that thing. And I might be the only person who appreciates it or some other goofy frame builder might appreciate it. And they'll also be like, that's a silly way. You're not going to make any
0: money doing that. You,
1: know? like, you just spent a <laughs> yeah, bunch they, of time to make no money.
0: Yeah. They, they can so, look at it and immediately know. they know. Yeah. yeah. It's, I it's... mean, I
1: did, you know, my last mountain bike, I literally put a tube on it and a piece of square tube and then I drilled holes into it. And then I welded cross drilled or, you know, then I weld, I cross drilled it, welded tu- tubes into that and then countersunk those tubes and other people who've built frames will walk up and be like, is that solid bar you drilled? You know? (laughs) (laughs) And I did that on purpose. Like I wanted it to look like it's a piece of solid bar that I drilled, but it's a tube with tubes in it, you know? Yeah. So uh, like there is no value in that whatsoever, just except (laughs) for just to be funny, you know? Yeah. And, and the kind of funny that two people get You know, it's not even funny to a mass group. It's like inside of an inside of an inside joke. And maybe I'm the only one that left. But, so, you know, oh I well.
0: mean, <laughs> you're, you're among friends because this is a frame building podcast where uh, yeah. people who know and get and care about are excited about frame building are listening to other frame builders. So if there was ever an audience to explain your tube within a tube fabrication method, I think you <laughs> shared it in the right <laughs> venue. And you can say, you know, maybe yeah. all that toil that day was worth it. <laughs> Yeah, for
1: sure. I laughed at the end of it. And I'm like, they got it to not sell that thing, you know? So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fun. It's fun to just be able to make whatever you want to make. And, yeah. you know, there's other things I want to make too, you know, uh, make some art sculpture sometimes. And, you yeah. know, just I see things and I make them, you know. So that's kind of fun. Yeah. And uh, always thinking about bikes. And, you know, so um, if, if you're tube bender, had existed years ago i wouldn't have uh cut and mitered uh you know cut and welded all the seat tubes that i did before you could do that in a good way that didn't suck you know so
0: <laughs> for, for um, tire but for, then I was, for short chain stay rear tire clearance you were you were rather than bending your seat yeah, tubes you were cutting them and welding them
1: yeah uh, yeah i'd cut them and weld them and some people are like, well wouldn't that break and i'm like i have to pass 6g weld tests for my job you know like <laughs> You know, uh, no, this is not a weaker way to do this. In fact, it didn't take it past its yield. It's actually really bomber. <laughs> you know? yeah, it's, it's just a very a strong way to do it. It's just a lot of work, you know? Yeah. So, and, uh, you know, I've seen people like totally poo poo it. Oh, that's a bad way to do it. And it's like, no, you know, there's lots of things that are structural that just have to get made that way. And then it was like, oh, then I took it even like, oh, I'll make it cool. I'll make five, I'll cut it into five pieces and do it, you know?
0: So, yeah, um, you know. Like, like the way so that to, uh, fabricators who will make um, custom exhaust for motorsports and stuff, they oh, use, yeah. the, they call pie cuts or whatever, and they're doing it out of... Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, same idea.
1: That's kind of where I got the idea. I had to make some stuff I've had a couple times where I've literally just had to do that to solve a problem, you know, like yeah. you just have to get over the bandsaw and or the cold saw and set it at an angle and cut, 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 and you know, clean the heck out of it first, cut, 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 cut and then you picture it somehow and then you lay down nice 6g groove welds on that you know
2: yeah and
1: they're not even as hard as 6gs because they're not fixed position i can roll them around you know Mm -hmm. they're not fixed at a 45 on the bench and you got to weld it with two hands you know it's like it's way easier than a 6g you can just roll it Mm -hmm. so you know weld it flat so but um so that's kind of a you know it's like i i've had to pass tests that are harder than this (laughs) so and i can see the inside of it real good you know so i'll purge it it'll be bitching so yeah it's kind of fun goofy goofy metal stuff you know so yeah um but yeah so well
0: um i'm thinking maybe we should we should wrap up the interview and uh yeah i think it was good awesome i, I appreciate really enjoyed you so talking much. To you. it was super fun yeah really i appreciate you taking the time to be on the call i always admired your work and appreciated you and uh it was cool to get to know you in person this year at nabs and now to do the interview and to be able to you know to share um the conversation that we probably would like to have anyway uh with with everyone yeah. who's interested in frame building well
1: very cool it was totally fun to go and uh, check out some 80s industrial dance music <laughs> oh yeah that too <laughs> awesome well uh good luck to you joe keep it up keep up the good work man yep. and uh if you're ever in oregon don't be a stranger cool yeah talk soon